think we are ready to begin. I'm just, um, my phone. Uh, I'm going to ping this from my Apple Watch. Are you hearing that? No. Not hearing the phone? Mm-mm. Uh, come in. Hey, you looking for this? Oh, wow. It's my godson, Strider. Yes, I was looking for that. Um, are you getting in my camera? Because that is just an incredibly dapper outfit, Strider. Um, is that like for a school play or what? No, it's actually, we just, it's my Halloween costume. We just came back from the Halloween store. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is like a, a dress rehearsal for mm -hmm. Halloween. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say I think that is an incredibly cool look for you. I'm used to seeing you in these futuristic soccer outfits. And, um, um, but was that expensive? No, it was on sale. Okay, because if I were you, I realize I'm not, but if I were you, I would go back to the Halloween store and get like four or five of those outfits while they're on sale. And that is what I would wear to school every day and just make that like your signature look. What do you think about that idea? Well, you can't really wear a Halloween costume to school except on Halloween. Well, um, but from a legal point of view, Strutter, I'm not actually sure that's true because Boulder has a very liberal school. Boulder schools have a liberal dress policy. And I don't think you can wear any Halloween costume to school every day, but I don't think they can send you home for wearing a jacket and a tie to school. Uh, I guess I do. Okay, because it would just be such a distinctive look, you know, for you, and you'd be like your own brand. And um, but if you just think about it, how cool would it be if Halloween, instead of one day a year, were 364 days of the year where you could wear anything you want, and then one day a year you had to wear, you know, a normal outfit. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. If you really know this, but something your dad reminded me of uh, just yesterday, we were talking about Halloweens. Something happened 12 Halloweens ago. I put on a Halloween costume 12 Halloweens ago, and I have not taken it off since then. Well, um, and so what happened was Halloween of 2006, uh, your brother Indigo would have been two. You wouldn't have been born for another 10 months. Your uncle Adam was there. And um, I didn't have a Halloween costume. We all wanted to like go to Pearl Street for Halloween. So I shaved my head and then your mom had face paint and she painted lightning bolts in my head and made me look even more like a superhero than usual. And, and that was my Halloween costume and I haven't taken it off since then. I've been shaving my, my head for the last 12 years ever since then. And, um, but is that your sketchbook you got there? Yeah. Okay, maybe I can use this to make my point about weirdness okay so oh wow that's really good um it's really weird um but it's really good okay and then this looks like the joker and uh, i'm just going to flip through these and and let's see how many of these um are weird okay let's see um that looks pretty weird that looks weird. Okay. Are you able to see these? That's really cool. Um, so, about what percentage of the sketches in a sketchbook, without my going through all of them, would you say are normal stuff, like a realistic picture of a toaster, of somebody taking out the trash, and how many would you say are images of something weird? Well, I guess they're all weird. Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, um, uh, that's exactly what I expected. And I think that's good because weird is more interesting than normal. And um, But I bet um, 
if when you were in the midst of making one of those sketches, if somebody called you to the phone because it was Grandma and Grandpa Jones, you would have been able to act perfectly normal on the phone, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, uh, this is why I say we all kind of like need to be when it relates to rabbit holes and the normal world, sort of like amphibious creatures. Do you know what an amphibian is? What is it, it a, like a creature that lives on land and in water? Exactly. So if we're imaginative people, we need to be amphibious, except instead of land and water, we need to be able to live in rabbit hole worlds, like the kind of things in your sketches, and then, but also be able to function well on the surface world, okay, and be able to switch between those. And um, so the stuff, the weird stuff, like what you're doing in your sketchbook, there's no reason why that can't become part of everyday life if it's not hurting anybody. And there's no reason why every day can't be Halloween in that sense. Well, actually, you should tell my brother that because he's been acting really grumpy ever since we came back from the Halloween store. Really? Indigo is grumpy? Because that doesn't sound like him. Uh, could you tell him to c come here for a second? Okay. Hey, Indigo! Jonathan wants to talk to you! Well, Indigo, you seem really grumpy, which is not how I'm used to seeing you. That's a pretty cool Halloween costume, by the way. Um, why are you so grumpy? See these unibrows? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, singular, definitely, but um, but you know that looks like it's part of the costume, which is sort of like an exoskeleton. I mean, it's part of a role you're playing, and I know you've been studying method acting in the theater department at school and stuff like that, which I totally support. Um, but, but you know, you have to be able to get out of the character too. It's like, I, I do something like method acting in my fantasy writing and, um, <clears throat> I get totally, and, and when I'm writing it, I get sucked into this rabbit hole. And then that's why it's pretty stressful when, when you see me come out of the study, I've got sunglasses and noise canceling headphones because it's hard to go from like one dimension to another. And, and you know I'm doing this film on rabbit hole navigation so when you immerse yourself in a character with acting you're going into the rabbit hole of that character which is good but if you go too far into it and get stuck in there you're gonna end up like Heath Ledger as the Joker remember in Batman fantastic job but like six months after the movie came out he died of an overdose and people said playing the Joker like was drive drove him crazy or something like that so um <clears throat> Go into the rabbit hole, play your character, but don't let it make you grumpy all day, okay? Okay. Now, um, I'll, we can talk about this more. I've got to, um, a little bit behind schedule, I've got to call a very important man who lives in the 15th century in Florence, Italy. And Florence, Italy is like six time zones away, so I think it's about 10 o'clock at night there. If I don't catch him soon, he's going to be asleep. Whoa, that's pretty weird. Well, um, it's just modern technology. Um, we can talk to people in any time zone, even the Renaissance. Um, Wait. Now. Wasn't the Renaissance like a really long time ago? Well, um, this is a new technology. It's, it's beyond ordinary cell technology, and it's transtemporal. 
telephony is what it's called. It means you can call somebody at any time in history. Does that make sense? Yeah, but like, who are you calling in the Renaissance? Um, Da Vinci, Leonardo Da Vinci. Wait, the Ninja Turtle? But I thought he lived in New York. Okay, um, well actually that Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtle character is named after the guy that I'm calling, who is a famous Leonardo da Vinci. He's a famous Renaissance-era artist and scientist, made all these incredible inventions, like the helicopter, and the, they weren't actually built, but he did the submarine and like all that kind of stuff. Well, why do you need to talk to him? I mean, he must be pretty busy with all his nerdy gadgets. Well, um, uh, I just need to talk to him because I'm doing this thing on rabbit hole navigation, right? So I figure if anybody could handle being in a rabbit hole, this is the only guy in history, apparently, that was considered both a genius as a scientist and a state-of-the-art genius as an artist at the same time. So all I'm going to do is tell him, lead him into the rabbit hole of like what we know from science now that you grew up knowing about, like, black holes and that like your body is made up of trillions of cells people in the renaissance didn't know about that so i'm just going to see um how he uh handles that well while you're on your boring phone call my therapist said that dancing is like the cure to my grumpiness so i'm gonna go do that stuff. okay Peace. all right i will catch you later and go Andrew, maybe we can catch them uh, doing some dancing out there. Sure. Because i got to get ready for this call. I need to do a few things first. Uh, hit it! Hit it! Yeah, hit it! Hit it! Come on! Tonight, I'm gonna have myself
Still get having some problems locking in that, that matrix interface circuit. Uh, we're live right now. We're live. Okay. Well, okay. We'll just have to leave it that way. <clears throat> anyway, did you get the uh, did you get the kids dancing out there? I did. Yeah, it was great. Okay. All right. So that is going to be a uh, tough act to follow, um, especially because now it's just going to be two old, if similarly talented, uh, white guys um, having a transtemporal phone conversation. Get that camera locked in yet? Um, also, um, well, actually, now that I told you that, as you can see, can you pan over there? Andrew, let them see some of the other equipment we're using here. Um, as you can hopefully see, make sure you get stuff that's up there. Temporal lock. Um, the transtemporal telephonic technology we're using here um, <clears throat> uh, involves both digital and analog equipment, including a lot of vacuum tube uh, technology. And the simple reason for this is that 1950s and early 1960s vacuum tubes create a type of fluctuating harmonic distortion resonance um, that is an absolutely critical driver of the retropositive phase linear harmonic patterning. Um, we need to create significant temporal displacement. Um, if, if you tried to do that digitally, you might get a few seconds worth, but if you need centuries of displacement like we need today, then the old vacuum tube equipment is absolutely unbeatable. And similarly, uh, digital phone equipment has not been found to be effective. The type of phone that we found that works best for our purpose are the, the 1970s era Bell Labs touch-tone phones. And unfortunately, these phones have no external audio pickup. And so that means you'll only be able to hear my side of the conversation. It's a limitation we're working on, but even if we did have external audio pickup, we still wouldn't be able to hear Leonardo's actual voice uh, due to real-time translation issues. Okay, I'm gonna need some more camera work here. Um, can you, uh, if you, if you just point to the two translator computers? Um, so we have two translator devices, okay, um, the one on the left there, you can see that under the, the globe, um, <clears throat> that's the one that's going to instantly render incoming um, Italian to English, and then the one right next to it um, is what's doing our English um, into Italian rendering, okay, so uh, that's what I'm hearing is the translator voice, it doesn't it's, it, it's, it's better than like the Stephen Hawking kind of voice. It will still sound like Leonardo to me, but it is still like synthesized English. Okay, now before we get started, um, and before we get a whole bunch of like doubting comments from geeks and techies, we're probably gonna raise all kinds of questions about this technology. I just wanna be clear, the only thing that we're doing um, with the equipment in this room is purely the signal processing end of things. Um, the real so to speak, heavy lifting part is being done by equipment we have in the basement of the house, especially our four fairly massive reverse tomography magnetronic devices, um, which are basically just toroidal shaped banks of old Soviet vacuum tube magnetrons powered by Tesla coils. 
So it's those four devices downstairs that are, will create um, the pulse detonation vortex of polarized nuclear magnetic resonance um, that will allow us to punch right through the linear time frame. And then it's the equipment here that will, that will fine tune the destination coordinates and try to lock in to what in layman's terms you could call a kind of um, acausal synchronistic entanglement with the quantum fluctuations of the microtubules in Leonardo's frontal lobes, as well as in the visual and audio processing parts of his brain. And if that works, it should create a multi-sensory telepathic interface um, with Leonardo. He will be able to hear my voice translated in real time um, into Renaissance era Italian, and hopefully I will be able to send him a few images uh, via this um, computer, which was specifically designed uh, for trans-temporal transmission of images, um, especially to a Renaissance time frame that have file sizes of three megabytes or less, um, which will be sent via reverse tomography carrier wave digital signal transmission. That will more or less um, allow them to piggyback on that pulse detonation vortex of nuclear magnetic resonance, which we've got going on downstairs, hopefully. Um, currently, the system is going to limit us to four or five images of three megabytes or less that we can transmit before it starts to compromise the stability of the temporal lock and neural interface. I'm trying not to get too technical here. But the neural interface, if it's stable enough, should allow me to um, remote view Leonardo and his immediate environment. Um, we're hoping in the future to be able uh, to capture digital images of those remote remote viewing visualizations that are happening neurologically inside my head, but we do not have that capability at the present. I'll try to clue you in, however, to anything significant that I'm seeing. You're probably picking up the fountains on my desk a little bit as water trickling in the background. Hope that's not distracting to anybody, just realized. Okay, again, everything I've just said is a kind of best case scenario, assuming that all goes well, and the system doesn't glitch out on us, which to be honest, does happen about 30% of the time. Um, when, we, when we started, the failure rate was about, well, it was slightly over 50%, but we've been gradually improving on that, but there's no guarantee of total success here, and that's just the chance you take when you're doing a live demo of highly experimental prototype technology. Since you won't be hearing, by the way, Leonardo's side of the conversation, I will repeat a good part of it, um, what I hear, um, but hopefully in a way that doesn't break the conversational flow. Um, it'll also let Leonardo know that I'm, at, I'm hearing him correctly. Um, but um, we shouldn't get lost in all the technical details here. Um, you heard me explain to Indigo earlier um, the purpose of this call. Um, and I, wanted, I just wanted to pick someone in history who um, would have the best native ability for rabbit hole navigation. And uh, for any of the, you who have read the recent Walter Isaacson biography of da Vinci, Isaacson makes the point that Leonardo is the only known person in all of human history to ever reach both the pinnacle of both art and science. So the um, <clears throat> purpose of the call will be a kind of stress test to see how well this uniquely versatile genius of the Renaissance era um, will be able to handle the rabbit hole of what science has learned in the almost exactly half a millennia since his death on May 2nd of 1519.
Okay, so I am going to press nine to get a line outside of the immediate time frame. Okay, so far so good. Um, and I am getting some kind of, uh, um, sounds like nuclear magnetic phase interference feedback. I'm gonna see if I can filter that out. Sorry for the delay here, okay. Well, got most of it down, but it's still slightly noisy, but with an acceptable parameter. So I think we're just gonna go for it. So, okay, punch in the day, 10, 31, of 15, 13 AD. Okay, and that was, we chose that date because um, at, at, on that date, Leonardo was almost exactly my age, and we found that age matching can sometimes, but not always, help with uh, neural frequency match. Uh, but then we also hope that the, all the other remarkable similarities between me and Leonardo may also assist with that frequency match, if that makes any sense. Okay, uh, we're just waiting for the system to initialize. So right now, what I'm hearing now is the system tunneling through the density of antecedent time layers. And I am getting a little bit of extra noise now. Um, probably that extra noise is just the Tesla coils overheating because of how far back in time we're trying to go. Um, once we are able to establish the time lock, um, the whole system will be able to ramp down and idle at about 80% of capacity. Okay, uh, great. Uh, that sounds like time lock. Now I'm just waiting to hear the three quick tones that will indicate successful neural interface. Okay, we got it. We're in. Hello, Leonardo? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I realize you're working on an important invention. Um, that particular one wouldn't actually work if it was built, but the general conception is way ahead of its time. Um, sorry, what's that? Um, am I an angel, demon, daemon, or spirit? Well, actually, I'm none of those things, Leonardo. I'm just a guy, just another multidisciplinary, visionary kind of guy like yourself. But the uncanny aspect is that I'm speaking to you from almost 500 years in the future, 2018, almost 2019 AD. What's the purpose of the call? Well, so I am creating, I guess you won't know what a video is, so let's just say I am creating a kind of illustrated magnum opus on what I call skills of rabbit hole navigation. Um, sorry, uh, can you say it again, Leonardo? I should stop talking in nonsensical riddles and get to the point. Okay, okay, Leonardo. I know you probably get a lot of these transtemporal calls in the future, so feel free to be abrasive with me. Um, I will try to explain the purpose of my call in a simpler way. So, um, we can all acknowledge you've made some great scientific discoveries. Um, so I think you can imagine that in 500 years, uh, mankind will of course have made all kinds of new scientific discoveries. And the purpose of the call is to share some of those with you, such as, um, okay, well, you're still considered one of the most gifted observers of nature, Leonardo. I mean, those anatomy drawings, your studies of bird flight, nobody had a better eye for observing nature than you. But the thing is that in the future, we'll have instruments that will be able to give, to greatly augment 
ordinary eyesight. And they will allow us to see things in nature that just can't be seen by ordinary eyesight. So I can see you have a beautifully made magnifying glass on your desk. But in my time, we have far more powerful magnifying glasses that we call microscopes that would allow you to see things far smaller than what you could see with the best magnifying glass. For example, that beautiful Persian rug beneath your desk. If we were to use a microscope and look into that rug, magnified enough that the threads would look like trees in a forest, we would find that this forest was crawling with strange looking creatures called dust mites. Let me see if I can send you a couple of images of those. Uh, Andrew, you should be prepared to turn the, the camera around um, so I can show him this. Um, okay, I'm going to try and send you, Leonardo, a few images of dust mites. So just let me know if you're getting these. Um, and Andrew, if you could turn the, the, the camera around so we can uh, see those. second I just got a text message Andrew from the power company they reported a big power surge happening here that must have been one when we initialized the system with the Tesla coils were overheating um, okay anyway um, so Leonardo hang on you get you got the you saw the four images yeah I don't I don't know why they're greenish exactly um, that's just the way they came through uh, okay hang on one more second Leonardo um, yeah, they look like fiendish beasts from hell. Um, yeah, uh, Hieronymus Bosch could not have made them any more grotesque. I could very aptly put them in order. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. And, okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, these are actually just harmless, ordinary creatures you would find in anyone's home, Leonardo. Um, they're just very tiny insects. What could they possibly be feeling in a, on a, in a Persian, feeding on in a Persian rug? Uh, well, uh, no, you are absolutely right, Leonardo. Every creature must have a food source, so this is a little bit gross. But what they're feeding on is little bits of dead skin flaking off of you, your friend Salai, and other members of your household. Yeah, not it. I don't know if you realize this, but most household dust is dead skin. And those creatures are called dust mites because they, they eat dead skin. That does seem plausible to you. Okay, well, that's something. Um, but you, you have a hard time believing that any animal could be that small. Well, uh, Leonardo, um, they actually aren't that small. There are living creatures that are way, way smaller than dust mites. Okay. So this is what I mean by um, a rabbit hole, Leonardo. This is going to be like a kind of conceptual tunnel we're navigating into where things are just going to get weirder and weirder. So I'm glad you're sitting down for this because um, there are living animals called microbes and all different kinds of uh, other tiny animals called cells that are far, far smaller than, than dust mites. In fact, you could fit billions of them inside of one dust mite. What's a billion? It's a thousand millions. Yeah, it's a pretty big number. To give you an idea, um, your whole lifespan is about 
couple billion seconds long. Right. Now, I really am telling you that billions of tiny animals called microbes could fit into one dust mite, which is itself too small for you to see with your best magnifying glass. Well, it's not crazy, Leonardo. It's a scientific fact. It's not even a theory. But listen, you're, the, you're not the only one to be ignorant about this fact. Every culture was clueless about this. Every culture was blind to this whole dimension of what we call microbiological life. And they're all going to remain ignorant of this dimension for at least another 150 years from where you are until a, a Dutch shopkeeper, I think he had a drapery shop, named Ant, his name was Antoine von Leeuwenhoek, and he's going to create the first microscope capable of enough magnification to see the microbiological dimension. Where is the microbiological dimension? Well, it's basically everywhere you are, Leonardo. It's in the air, the water, the food you eat. It's all around you. And these, these tiny creatures are very highly consequential. It's sort of like you can't live with them. They can kill you, but you also can't live without them. Right. Yeah. Now, even though they're so tiny, um, um, they can kill you. Um, they kill a hell of a lot of people. Maybe not just one of them could kill you, but there's never just one of them. Okay, they, yeah, no, they are the cause of many of the most severe illnesses that you're probably aware of. So, um, um, so just a bit of practical advice. You know how surgeons in your time wash their hands after surgery, but not before? You should probably reverse that. Like washing your hands before surgery is actually more important than washing them after. Okay, maybe you can spread the word on that. Um, and uh, you, I'm sure you've heard about the Black Death, right? Yeah, exactly, that Black Death, the, the plague that peaked in about 1350 and killed half the people in Europe. So that was actually caused by these invisible creatures. I know it sounds crazy, but we might as well get through the part you're going to find even crazier. These invisible creatures aren't just all around you. They are you, in the sense that your body is actually a cooperative network of about 40 trillion of these tiny creatures. What's a trillion? Uh, it's a one with 18 zeros after it, a number you couldn't count to in your lifetime. It would take you 31,000 years to count to one trillion. So it would take you more than one and a quarter million years, if I'm doing the math in my head right, to count every cell in your body one by one. How could any living thing possibly be that small? Well, um, it's because cells are made up of stuff that's way, way smaller, Leonardo. In fact, most cells have an internal structure that's about as complex as all the infrastructure of Florence. That's right, all the bridges, buildings, and walls. How, well, because they're made, how could, what's so much smaller? Um, well, so some of the basic building blocks for cells, what we call organic molecules, or let's just talk about molecules. Molecules are way, way smaller than microbes and cells. And just to give you an idea, um, you see that glass of water on your desk. Well, that has more molecules in it then there would be glasses of water in all the oceans of the Earth. But way, way smaller than molecules, this is what makes up molecules, are atoms, right? Like the Greek philosophers, you know, talked about, you're exactly right. 
Um, there are more atoms in one teaspoon of water than there are teaspoons of water in all the oceans of the Earth. Just in one teaspoon, right? And then atoms are made of what we call subatomic particles, and they are way, 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 way smaller than atoms. In fact, atoms are almost completely hollow and almost completely empty space. For example, in where I'm, where I'm at, 2018, we have 7 billion people on the planet. That's about, I think, 14 times as many as during your time. Now, if we took all the space out of all the atoms of all those 7 billion people, and on average, people in my time are much larger now and a lot fatter than they were in 1513, um, including poor people, yeah. In fact, a lot of people are, um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, well, we, we're able to feed people a lot better now. But anyway, if you took, it's not, it's kind of a sidetrack. If you took all the empty space out of their atoms, all those 7 billion people would fit into one sugar cube. You have no idea what a sugar cube is. Okay, well, it's about the size of an olive. Okay, Leonardo, I understand. You're having trouble believing that the stuff that makes up 7 billion people can fit into one olive. All right, listen, I find it pretty weird too, Leonardo, but what's even weirder is that about 13.8 13 billion years ago, the whole universe, uh, what's that about 6,000 years? Yeah, no, okay, I know, I know that's, that's what the Bible says, but that's what we call, in my time, fake news. And there's quite a bit of that fake news in some of these old books, okay? Now, now currently, it's been changing, but now they're estimating 13.8 billion years for the age of the universe, a lot older than you thought. But anyway, when the universe began 13.8 billion years ago, the whole universe was way, way, way smaller than a dust mite's toenail. That's right, the whole universe, exactly, including Italy, the New World, and a whole lot more. So the whole universe was a point that had zero volume and infinite density. How could an object have zero volume? Well, good question. I think it's because space itself didn't exist yet. Okay, um, hang on, maybe that'll become clear in a moment. So you remember that a trillion has 18 zeros after it. Well, the whole universe, 13.8 billion years ago, existed in a point 10 with 30 zeros after it, smaller than the smallest grain of sand you could see. And it was also 10 with 30 zeros after it, hotter than the hottest metal forge anywhere in Florence, which is pretty hot. And also, time didn't even exist yet, okay, until this thing called the Big Bang happened, and then everything sort of exploded, but actually they say that we shouldn't say that it exploded because there was nothing for it to explode into because space itself didn't exist until after the Big Bang, so it was more like an expansion. Okay, it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, fine. Okay, well, the truth is I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, Leonardo. I'm just telling you what science says. No, I'm not a scientist myself. Sorry, Leonardo, we can't all be you, but to be fair, unlike in the Renaissance where one man could pretty much know all the tiny little bit of known science, um, now we have so much more science that no one could possibly keep up with it all. It's a lifetime's work just to stay on top of one little subspecialty, Leonardo, okay? So why do I believe the whole universe was 10 with 
30 zeros after it's smaller than the smallest grain of sand. I don't know, Leonardo. Why did people believe Jonah and the whale? Okay, um, oh, at least Jonah could actually fit in a whale, so the sizes aren't insanely disproportionate. Okay, whatever, Leonardo. I'm not saying that I do believe in it. Once again, I'm just telling you what science says at the moment. This is what I mean by a rabbit hole, Leonardo. It just gets weirder and weirder, and we're not even done yet. Okay, so just to recap, the universe started out way smaller than it makes sense, but it's also way, way larger than you think it is. For example, the sun is much bigger than you think it is, and that's because it's much further away than you think. It's actually 93 million miles away, and the sun is so big, you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside of it. How could a celestial body be that big? Well, actually, the sun is supposed to be a bit below average size for a sun. Yeah, there are other suns. There's a whole lot of other suns. They're called stars, right? No, Leonardo, it's not just a heavenly firmament of twinkling lights out there. Every one of those little twinkling lights, those stars, star means in a sun, that's the same thing. Um, and more than half of them, half of those stars are bigger than our sun. You're not realizing that because they're just so incredibly far away. How many stars are there? Well, um, it's a whole lot more than you can see on the clearest night. I mean, just to give you an idea, just in our Milky Way galaxy, there are about 100 billion stars, and there are at least 100 billion other galaxies, and um, now they say that there are more stars out there than there are grains of sand in all the beaches of all the Earth. So there's a, there are a lot of other suns. And at the same time, there are new stars being born and other ones that, that, are, that explode and die. Yeah. No, no stars can explode, Leonardo. No, I don't, I don't like that either, Leonardo, but it's true, stars explode. Yeah, that's right. It's not just an everlasting divine canopy of stars in the heavens. Stars have a life cycle, and some of them do explode. Okay, no, I don't like exploding stars either. Um, in fact, they can be much worse than you think they are. Sometimes when a star explodes, they call it a gamma burster. It could sterilize an entire galaxy, so that's pretty bad. Okay, but at the same time, we also need exploding stars. It's kind of like your, your friend, the one you call Sly, the little devil. What? No, I'm not judging your relationships, Leonardo. Well, okay, hang on a second, Leonardo. I didn't call him the little devil. You called in the little devil. That's your name from him. It's in all the, the books. Okay, don't put this on me. Okay, Leonardo, let's get real. All the expensive shoes and cloaks he makes you buy for him, all the money he stole from you, all the times he just ran away, remember all that? That's why you called in the little devil. So please don't put that on me. Okay, calm down, Leonardo. Absolutely. You can have a relationship with anyone you want to. It's none of my business. I couldn't agree more. Listen, Leonardo, I don't... I don't care about Salai. I was just trying to make a point about exploding stars. No, I don't mean I don't care about Salai that way. Sure, I care about him, not as much as you do, obviously. I was just trying to make a point about exploding stars, Leonardo. Okay, I know that's all you ever hear from your family is criticism of Salai. I get it. I support your having a relationship with whoever you want to. Trust me, I'm not judging your relationship. 
and it's not just me most people in 2018 are a lot more tolerant okay just to give you an idea do you know that what the Pope said a few years ago the Pope still the Pope right now in 2018 you know what he said a few years ago about such relationships yes we still have popes they're nowhere near as powerful but we still have them the Vatican the whole thing and so forth anyway the current Pope his name is Pope Francis said about such relationships who am I to judge yeah that's right Leonardo the Pope actually said that okay that's the most unbelievable thing I've said so far today okay he said it okay if you ever travel to this time you can look it up yourself that's what the Pope said and I'm not I'm not even a Catholic Leonardo so I'm definitely not not judging Salai once again I was trying to make a point about exploding stars and we've all had difficult relationships Leonardo I get it my relationships are diff are, are complicated too okay so we have a saying in my time about those kind of difficult relationships people you know can't live with them can't live without them and that's probably how you feel about Salai if you're honest with yourself can't live with them can't live without them can we agree on that okay okay all right so the point I was trying to make about exploding stars is just that like with Salai can't live with them can't live they, they can wipe out your whole galaxy but to be fair we also can't live without them because every, every atom in your body, Leonardo, every atom in Salai's body, what, no, I'm not bringing him up again, okay? Every atom in everybody's body, in every plant, animal, rock, the air, every one of those atoms, everything on the earth came from an exploding star. So yeah, there's that, okay? So exploding stars, like microbes, like a lot of relationships, not mentioning any particular relationship, are in that kind of can't live with them can't live without them paradox it's like a principle of nature okay let's move on Leonardo now I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse about exploding stars but stars also implode so you remember that thing I told you about how if you took out all the empty space the seven billion people would fit in one olive well that actually happens when a large enough star implodes and then you get something they call a black hole what? Okay, it's a stupid name, Leonardo. Don't shoot the messenger. I didn't call it a black hole. Science did. Okay, fine. Big Bang, black hole. Sounds like a child's fairy tale. Okay. Anyway, moving on, because our time is limited. The idea of a black hole is that gravity is so strong, even light can't escape. And if you cross into one, you pass something called an event horizon, where there's what they call a singularity, where time stops, and some people say it might lead into another universe. But How can there be another universe? The universe is supposed to include everything. Yeah, well, now scientists talk about the multiverse because they are supposed to be, supposed to be an infinite number of universes and parallel realities. And some even say that Anytime anything can go one way or another, even down to the subatomic level, it actually goes both ways and therefore it creates another universe where it went the other way. Now, I don't know how that works exactly. They call it the many worlds hypothesis. Most physicists believe it. Personally, I don't like that one at all. I feel it's wasteful and elegant. I think it kind of violates the story structure that I think is behind everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this is all a rabbit hole, even for me. But most of the time, I'm, I just get on with my life and don't even bother to think about science's ever-deepening rabbit holes. And 
they just keep getting worse. So just in the last 20 years or so, now they're saying um, the universe is 95% dark matter and 95% dark energy. And oops, we don't even know what either of those are. And now what's even more crazy making is that we have a bunch of physicists saying that the odds are that the whole reality we're experiencing is a vast simulation, perhaps being created on the what they call quantum computers by a more advanced species. What? Oh, you have heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right, Leonardo. It is pretty much exactly what the Gnostics said. Right. The world's an illusion. The Hindus called it Maya. The Gnostics called the other species the Archon, the masters of deception. Okay, well, we found something we can agree on. Okay, well, anyway, on that note, I think maybe we've come full circle, and maybe we better wrap this up, Leonardo. I've got, like, some things I've got to do. Um, do I have any practical advice for you from the future? Okay, let me, let me think about that for a minute. I mean, I did already suggest having surgeons wash their hands before surgery in addition to after, so that's very important practical advice um, specifically for you specifically for me and um, well let me think um, no it's not going to be about Salai Leonardo I'm done talking about him okay don't worry wait um, did you already paint the Last Supper oh 15 years ago completed 1498 okay all right well too late for that advice you want to know anyway for sure okay well let's just say if you plan to do any more mural painting Maybe painting on dry plaster on a thin exterior wall exposed to lots of humidity might not be the best choice from a longevity perspective. Okay, you've, you've seen it deteriorate too? Okay, well, we all make mistakes, Leonardo. At least you tried. It was a noble effort. No, Leonardo, I don't think you've wasted all your days, Leonardo. Stop saying that. You did a lot, and you're still famous. Okay, sorry about that, Leonardo. We just had another message from the power company that we're drawing a very unusual amount of electricity um, but hopefully we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap this up okay uh, what's that about Michelangelo um, okay. no he, he's still famous yeah no he, he is he's still famous you think Michelangelo is horribly overrated okay yeah I, I don't know if you can really say that Leonardo, you've seen you've seen David, right? Okay, I get it. You think sculpture is a lesser art, but the guy was a pretty good painter too. I mean, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Okay, he just finished it. Um, I think it was a year ago, your time. You think the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is bombastic and lacking subtlety? Okay, well we can just agree to disagree about that, Leonardo. Look, I know you guys didn't get along. But I think you're taking this way too personally because Michelangelo didn't get along um, with anybody. Um, I think you know that. And he didn't have your looks. He didn't have your charisma, charm, diplomacy, none of that. He had like zero social intelligence. I mean, you must have heard how he talked back to the Pope, your Pope, Julius II. Oh, Julius died in February. Okay. And Leo X is Pope now. Okay. Well, whatever. Okay. Julius was Pope a few years ago, right? And Michelangelo gave him an attitude and refused to show him his sketches of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And Pope Julius beat him with a stick and everybody knew about it. I mean, can you imagine how humiliating that must have been? 
So I don't think you need to be his enemy, Leonardo. Um, the guy is his own worst enemy. Okay, I don't know who is more famous, Leonardo. Um, you're both really famous. It's not a competition. And you reached the pinnacle of both science and art, which Michelangelo didn't. So there's that. I could have called Michelangelo today. Okay, maybe I will another day, but I called you first, okay? I haven't even called Shakespeare yet, Leonardo. And I'm an English major, okay? No idea who Shakespeare is. Oh, yeah, right. Um, of course, you don't. You won't be born for another 51 years. My bad. Okay. Well, anyway, um, I don't know if he's going to be more famous than you. Look, you don't even know Shakespeare. He's not even born yet, and he's working in a totally different medium, okay? He just writes plays and poems. No painting of any kind or scientific inventions, as far as I know. Okay. Listen, we're going to have to pick this up another time, Leonardo. I've got to get on with a few things, but just, brother, just keep doing what you're doing, okay? Okay. All right. Thanks, Leonardo. Respect. Okay, brother. Peace out. So what do you think? Were you happy with the call? Well, I was still getting quite a bit of that nuclear magnetic phase interference feedback noise. No, I, I mean, were you happy with how the conversation went with Leonardo? Oh, okay. Well, uh, the guy was a lot more abrasive than I expected, to be honest. Uh, right away, I got this kind of petty one-upsmanship competitive vibe from him. And, I mean, I get that a lot from other multidisciplinary visionary guys. And with our being the same age at the time of the call, that probably added to that kind of pure competitive vibe. Um, so I shouldn't have let him trigger me with that stuff. That's my. That's on me. Especially after once I heard about his competitive insecurities with Michelangelo, I realized that it's, it's not just me. No, no. I mean, just... were you happy with the content of the call, the whole rabbit hole challenge? Wasn't that what the whole experiment was supposed to be about? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, let me think about that for a minute. Well, one thing that was quite interesting and relevant is that we didn't is that we did kind of slide into a classic sort of rabbit hole that um, I've barely touched on here, and that's the rabbit hole of relationships. Uh, for many of us, we can't live with them, can't live without them relationships. Um, they can be some of the most difficult, disorienting, maddening, inspiring, exciting, fulfilling, dark night of the soul rabbit holes of them all. And so um, I'm not going to talk about that now. I've got a lot of other writings on Zap Oracle, my website, zaporacle.com. On that subject, you could start with the Guide to the Perplexed Interdimensional Traveler. It's also YouTube. Um, and then there must be a, a hundred other articles, for example. No Tristans Allowed Beyond This Point, Rethinking the Western Myth of Romantic Love. All of my hottie writings, like Stop the Hottie, When Worlds Don't Unnecessarily Collide, Orbiting the Planet Hottie, Lessons for an Entity Incarnating as a Mammal. And then there must be a couple hundred Zap Oracle cards, such as The Other Stars, Soulmates, Accepting the Hazards of Relationships, so the list could go on and on. Otherwise, just going into the rabbit hole um, of what science says at this point. I mean, this is like what we saw in this call. I mean, I don't know about Leonardo, but I was starting to get vertigo just trying to explain um, about it enough of the basics to him. So I think part of the lesson is that rabbit hole navigation isn't just for strange mutants like me, um, because the rabbit hole that mainstream science is excavating. Um, I, I don't know a weirder rabbit hole than that one. I don't know how there possibly could be one that's weirder. So to paraphrase J.B.S. Haldane, 
Rabbit holes are not only stranger than we think, they're stranger than we can think.